Welcome back. I'm Karami. And this is Cassandra. And we're Too Good to Be True. And this week I'm going to be redoing something that we've actually already done. I was planning to do Enron for this week, but there's a lot of shit on Enron. There, I didn't realize the scope of stuff that's actually out there and that I was going to do as deep a dive into it as I'm doing and getting as involved as I'm getting. So it's not quite ready yet. It's going to actually end up being a two-parter, I think. I might be able to swoosh it down a little, but it, it's probably going to be a two-parter. So I'm going to cover that, I guess, of my next set of, of my episodes. And so this week, I'm doing the Bathtub Girls. We did actually already do them way back in December. But for one, I sounded like crap because I was sick with the flu and breathing through a mask and having to stop and gasp for air every five seconds. And then whenever I was trying to fix the audio on some of the older ones, I somehow managed to lose it because I'm a dumbass. So we just don't have it at all anymore. So we decided to do a re-report. It disappeared. Really? <laughs> I was so mad too. Man, I was fuming because I almost had it saved and then... The, the app kicked me out, and I was like, son of a bitch. Yeah. That, I just sat there and listened to myself talk for a half an hour only to lose what I was trying to save. That's horrible. Yeah, that's not fun. Yeah, so even before I get into the bathtub girls, though, I'm going to give a couple quick updates. So there's one from a little while ago that I we talked about and we joked about, and then I forgot that we should actually include it on our podcast, and it's that um, Billy McFarland, you know, he's a free man now, and he has proclaimed that there will be a fire festival too. So like we said in our episode where we covered fire festival and Billy, we said as soon as he can, he's going to be right back to grifting and scamming because that's all they know how to do. Here we are. So guys, be on the lookout for... Fire Festival 2, and please, for the love of God, don't get tickets. Hot griffing, don't, don't go to that. Don't sign up for that. Please don't. <laughs> unless, unless you're, you know, willing to be put through. Take one for the team. Take, yeah, and take one for the team. Put through a bunch of bullshit and, you know, lose your money. But, yeah. Who knows? Maybe it'll be so popular because people really want to see it actually succeed that he'll get the help he needs and actually get it taken care of this time. You never know. It could actually work out. That's the thing. You never know. If he does do it, I really hope that he donates a lot of the money right back to where he was the first time around where all those people got put out. Oh, yeah. That was shitty. Yeah. Lost money and business and everything over this. So, Billy, if you listen to us, please do that. My other update is on Miss B. Dong, otherwise known as Brittany Dawn Davis of the Brittany Dawn fitness scandal that we covered in one of our very, very early episodes, which doesn't have great audio, but it is what it is. She It's still one of our most popular. She uh, was supposed to be going to trial on the 15th of this month for her fitness scam and if you haven't heard about it and you want to find our episode on that i think it's our third episode in but she decided to settle instead so she settled with the state out of court on april 25th and come on we all know she did that because she knows they were going to drag her to hell 
Oh, yeah. She was in for the long haul, and they were really going to come for her, and she just took the easy way out. I think a lot of it is she doesn't want to take accountability. You know what I mean? Well, it's it's part that, but it's part that she knew she was going to lose because oh, yeah. she, she wasn't allowed to submit any more evidence. So of all the documents who's supposed to submit, she only submitted 7% of them. I remember. And so they had that, whatever it's called, I'm blanking on the word, but they, they did a thing to where she cannot submit, submit anything, out. anything else. She has submitted what she's going to submit and... That's it. So she couldn't even argue against 93% of their accusations to begin with. And then on top of that, they were calling witnesses. Right. And people were actually going to come testify against her. And I think she knew there was absolutely... She was basically fucked. Yeah. And there was... Yeah. There's no way she was going to win. She knew there was no way. She knew she was going to come off looking stupid. She knew that this would be plastered all over the internet. Because they even live streamed the courts and everything, and she knew it was going to be out there forever, and she didn't want to deal with all those consequences, so she settled out of court so she can keep doing the things that she's currently doing. So if you haven't kept up with her, she's been fostering children, which is great, and she's been doing Christian retreats, and she also has her own podcast now, so she's been doing those things, and... She doesn't want to lose those things. Because she knows if this trial comes out... Then, exactly. Then her followers are going to... Probably not all of them. Some of them will still bury their heads in the sand. But some of them will look up what she's being charged for and what she did, what the evidence is. And she's going to lose people. And she's going to lose that money because she's still rifting. As they do. Rifters done a rift. Anyway, I will now get into the bathtub girls. And before we get into it, I want to make sure you know that the names that I'm going to be using are, they're fictional. They, the identities of the girls, they can't be released due to the Youth Criminal Justice Act. And this story takes place in Canada, so they have different rules and regulations about releasing identities of minors and stuff. So... They were never released, so the names that we're going to be using were created by journalist Bob Mitchell for his book, The Class Project, How to Kill a Mother. So even though I'm not going to be using their real names, it's not really hard to find them. I mean, you can Google it, and it will just pop right up. I mean, it's not a secret anymore. I'm just going to follow the rules and and use them once provided. Sounds good. So this story, like I said, it takes place in Canada. It takes place in Mississauga, Ontario. Linda Anderson was 43 years old, and she had immigrated to Canada from Holland. She had three children, Sandra and Beth, and I believe they both had the same father. And then she also had Bobby, who was younger, and he had a different father. Sandra and Beth were less than a year apart in age. And they were very close. They did everything together. They had the same friend group and same interests, and they just did everything together. And at the time of the crime, Sandra was 16 and Beth was 15. So Linda was an alcoholic, and her drinking picked up after the kid's father left. And she also suffered from depression. She had some trauma earlier in her life. And she was married a second time, and in 2001, 
Her husband was convicted of drunk driving and domestic abuse. He then left and let his drinking drinking again worsened. And so by 2002, the girls had grown to resent their mother and her drinking. As you would. I mean, yeah, none of those things are good. Yeah, I, I can't imagine living. Now, I did live a little bit when I was younger with an alcoholic, my stepmother, ex-stepmother, not the current one. But I couldn't imagine living long-term, like, basically their entire lives, you know, with their mother, and she's an alcoholic. I would imagine that you'd be sick of it. Right. Me either. I couldn't imagine it either. The only time that I was involved in that situation, I was very small. So, like, I don't really remember. I don't remember a lot of it. I do remember, like, as I was older, like, my father coming around, like, here and there, and he was always drunk. Like, you could smell the alcohol on him, and that's... And it was always, like, not a good situation. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was odd hours. He would just show up, like, banging on the door, you know, acting all wild, you know. Let me see my kids. And my mom would usually let him get out. It's like, and here I am, sure. But, like, I don't know. Just, I, I couldn't imagine long-term being around that because just the little bit that I've experienced it, didn't like it. Yeah. Well, the girls said that Linda was often drunk and she had been nude and masturbated in front of them and their friends. I forgot that part of the story. My goodness. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's the thing. It's like you never want to say don't believe them. Like, obviously, in cases of rape or assault or anything, we always say believe the victim. But no, their friends do talk about some things and kind of you know, corroborate their story, but, like, in this case, I don't remember any friends at all at any point saying that she, that they had witnessed, they, yeah, that she had done it in front of them, and, and they said that she would do it in front of them and their friends, and if that was true, one of their friends probably had been like, yeah, that Linda lady definitely was fingering herself right in front of us, like, <laughs> she was really getting there, she was just going to town. Oh, God. So, I don't know. They also claim that Linda had driven drunk frequently with them in the car. That I can attest to. I've been, I know for sure that my ex-stepmom definitely drove me drunk because there was that day where she was like, we're getting a puppet, and I was like, you're the best stepmom ever, and she was just drunk. Yeah. Now, now you look at it and you go, oh yeah, she was just drunk. She was just plastered. Just somewhat out of good old time. That's wild. Yeah, I mean, they so they do that, I mean... They're not making the soundest decisions when they're uh, for certainly sure. wasted. So they do drive with the kids in the car. Linda had a decent job, though. She worked as an x-ray technologist. But, of course, she kept getting fired from her jobs due to her alcoholism because she just would not show up. Her heart would show up drunk. Yeah, hard to keep a job when you're an alcoholic because you're basically not able to function properly worse most of the time yeah john he, the only exception i can think of is a functioning alcoholic someone who's just been an alcoholic for so long and been so good at that they just still function do it i've seen several of them throughout my life and she was also dating a man who would abuse her often after they were drinking together of course 
Sandra said Linda would talk to her about her sex life and tell her inappropriate details. Okay. Which, at that age, no. I mean, yeah. at this point, I could talk to female family members about any of the raunchiest stuff in the world, but when I was 16, no. No. The girls had tried to report things, but they received no help. They had spoken to family members who told them that if they worked hard in school and got good grades, then things would get better. Because them doing well in school is going to change the fact that their mother is an alcoholic. Yeah, that's how you cure alcoholism, guys. You just do really good in school. We figured out the magic cure. Frack the code. <laughs> Sandra at one point reported sexual abuse to a priest during confession, and for whatever reason, this dumbass didn't report it to authorities. He instead told her to tell the, the the rapist that she was going to tell her mom if he didn't stop. And he was like, okay, fucking do it then. And he'll just get to be a pair. Yeah, I continued to do it anyway. Teaser. So that was no help. So great job on that priest. I can't even, like, somebody knows who he is. So if he tells you something like that, you go to the police. Right, immediately. Like, there's... Uh, you know, I know during confession, some people do confess to some wild things, and I don't think the priest says anything, but it, I don't think that applies to, like, murder, rape, rape, rape and stuff like that. Especially with children. I mean, it's even, even when you go for therapy or to see a psychiatrist or anything, they you have your patient privacy to a point. point. If yeah. you seem like you're going to hurt yourself or someone else, they rat you out, as they should. Right, correct. Well, Sandra had also called the Children's Aid Society, which is Canada's version of Child Protective Services, right. PS, Children and Youth, Children's Aid, whatever you call it. Mm-hmm. They have Children's Aid. That's what it's called, Children's Aid Society. And that's to report abuse. But that also didn't amount to anything because Sandra sabotaged the investigation by clamming up because she was embarrassed and she didn't want to talk about the depraved thing she had been put through in front of other people, so she initially reported it and then just didn't say anything, which is also common. I mean, yeah, that does happen. They kind of, like, revert, and then they're like, oh, wait, no. Yeah, some people even get, like, super close to trial even, and then we can't reach the right here. So at this point, the girls began searching the Internet for ways to kill their mother. You know, because that's where you always go from that point. Right. Yeah, mom's got a serious problem that she needs help with, so let's just kill her. Fuck it. Well, I know up until this point, a lot of things I've said, you know, we do want to be sympathetic towards them. I mean, alcoholic mother, she's doing gross things in front of them. One of them's being sexually abused. They're reaching out for help and they're not getting it. You feel sorry for them. You feel anger at Linda and you're like, get your shit together. And, you know, this wouldn't have happened. Definitely. But... The way that they act and the things that they talk about, some of the things I'm going to cover, kind of might sway you in another direction. I see. We, so we're going we're going to a whole another place now. They claimed that the insurance money that they would have gotten for Linda's death, Linda's death, was not the reason behind the murder and was just a bonus. But it came up a little too often for me to be convinced. There was a lot of talk about the insurance money. 
So people who don't care about the insurance money. It made it seem like they yeah. wanted or needed that money, mm-hmm. or so they thought they mm-hmm. So they were like, oh, let's kill two birds. Yeah, but, but you know, I I don't I would not go so far as to say I think they killed her just for the insurance money. Right. They were clearly in a bad situation. But I feel like the insurance money wasn't just a bonus. It was part of like, cool, this will be our way out of this. Right. So I don't want to say, you know, that I entirely believe what they're saying. Yeah, I don't. I don't that's not how I view it. I don't think that they did it entirely for the money i mean clearly they tried to get help other ways and it wasn't going in their favor and i guess they just got frustrated and i mean i would be frustrated too but i don't think i would start planning a murder really i mean we always think that we never actually never know what we do but i mean i would like to think i would not do that and like i said they would often talk about what they would do with the money Sandra talked about traveling and taking her friends on a trip to Europe for a vacation. And they also wanted to stay at their townhouse where they currently were living and have some of their friends move in with them. They were kind of going to appeal to the father figure with like, oh, we can't leave here. This is where our mom lived. This is where all of our memories are. They were going to pretend to be emotion. So he would let them stay at the townhouse. I'd be like, why would you want to stay here? Yeah, this seems like it was a shitty environment. It can't be all that great of memories. Well, I'm sure there were some, but... Yeah. Plus, they were going to try and play it off as so that they could stay there, do whatever they wanted, and just party all the time and get high and everything. And they wanted to stay with their Aunt Martha for a while because I'm going to send money... And I remember the aunt comes to yeah. play. Aunt comes into play. They wanted to stay with her because she had money. And so they would be able to party all the time and smoke weed with their cousins. Boy, just living it up. <laughs> so at this point, they started working on the plan. Sandra and Beth decided on drowning their mother because it would be quick and easy and it could be made to look like an accident. I can't imagine that's actually quick and easy. But I guess you could make it look like an act. Quick, yes, easy, no. No, that's what I was thinking. Well, they wanted it to look like an accident and not a suicide so that the insurance would still pay out. So they settled on getting her drunk and giving her Tylenol 3s, which is a mixture of Tylenol and codeine, which gets you high in case you didn't know. And then they were going to drown her in the bathtub. The girls confided in three of their friends, who then helped them plan out the murder and an alibi. They told Sandra's best friend, Ashley, their friend, Jay, and Beth's boyfriend, Justin. So they're really going all in. They're, like, involving other people. They're going to come up with a whole story. That's the wild part. Could you imagine even plotting a murder at that age, let alone, but... Actually being comfortable enough knowing that your friends are going to be okay with this. To tell them. To tell the least. Yeah. And then to actually have your friends volunteer to help. What are the odds of that group of, that specific group of people who all were okay with doing this would find each other in this scenario? It's kind of insane when you think about it. But I have I have seen other scenarios kind of like that. Like, did you ever hear that story about that 
Chandra Sherer, whatever. Yes, that's terrible. What's the likelihood of all those people meeting each other and being like, this is cool. Right. And like, let's go murder young girl duos and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that just somehow happened like, on each other. How do you even have that conversation? Are you just yeah. sitting around one night having a drink being like, you know, it'd be real cool, man. Like, like cut off some chick's head, man. Yeah. And then the other person's like, yeah, you know what? I've thought about that too. With what? No, how? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, Justin provided them with the Tylenol 3s, which he needed a prescription for. So somebody in his house must have had one. I don't think any of these kids were quite street smart enough to be buying actual drugs. Oh, for sure not. I could be wrong. I, not like I know those, but I just get that vibe. <laughs> yeah. They were probably going to like the lowest of the low people. To find these things. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know them personally. Yeah, I don't know. The girls chatted online with their friends about the murder plans, and those chat logs would later help to prove the murder. And they didn't want Linda to die while Bobby was in the house, so they waited until he was at his father's for a weekend. Oh, how respectful. Yeah. I mean, thank God, though. We don't want our little brother to be here when this happens. I mean, I am glad they did that for him. January 18th, 2003, the sisters began giving Linda her favorite drink of vodka and lemonade, which is good. Interesting. Vodka and lemonade. Yeah, it's good. It's nice. You, if you, well, I mean, hers are probably stronger than what I would drink, but if you mix Oh, them, yes. You know, we won't taste vodka. It. And they also gave her six Tylenol 3s, which is a lot of That's an all the plan was to get her so inebriated that she would not be able to fight back. I think that would do it. At around 6.30 that evening, the girls drew a bath for Linda and coaxed her into it. She was so incapacitated from the drinks and the Tylenol 3s that she had difficulty getting herself into the tub. So Sandra put on gloves and helped her into the tub. And the reason she put on the gloves is because she didn't want to leave any DNA or marks on her mother. She said her mom bruised really easily, and they didn't know if that was due to the alcoholism or what. But they didn't want to have bruises. They indicated somebody was holding her under, and she also didn't want to leave any fingerprints because it would be kind of weird for her to have fingerprints in those places. They're really thinking hard about this, aren't they? <laughs> Linda didn't fight back very hard because she was so drunk. Sandra held her head underwater for four minutes while Beth left the room to answer a phone call. And I specifically remember reading that she would talk about holding her mom's head under and until she was done twitching. Yeah, that's a little disturbing. Yeah. See, that's why I'm like, I don't think it would really be that easy because I don't know that I could do that. No, just stand there and watch somebody's life slowly. It would be disturbing. Yeah. There's, I feel like there's easier ways. And not have to witness the person taking their last like breaths and what oh no well yeah there's i mean dr drowning is a very painful death like some people for some reason have the misconception that it's an, uh, like peaceful peaceful yeah. one and it's not it's very painful at one point in their chat they even talk about how painful it is that's right yeah and you know, after the four minutes, Linda's dead, and the girls left to meet their friends at a restaurant, Jack asked in order to create an alibi. 
They met up with their friends at about 6.51 and had dinner and told them that they had committed the murder. I was going to say, I wonder how that conversation went. Oh, we met up with our friends. And and I'm like, what were they talking about? Were they like, did you do it? Did you get the on? But to sit there and, and, and just, did you do it? And it uh, yeah, we did. <laughs> and then they eat. And then they eat dinner. Oh, my God. I just, that, I don't like it. Yeah, I don't like it. The girls returned home at about 10.30 and called 911 to report their mother's death. And when investigators got there, they found the scene odd, as it is unusual for someone to drown in their bathtub. Or small children. It doesn't really happen a lot. I think people think it happens more than it actually does. I think that's why they think it would be a believable thing. But I I don't, like you're saying, I don't think it actually does. That has happened too. No, and I don't. I, I don't know anybody directly or indirectly. Like I don't even know somebody that knows somebody that that has happened to. Because I think if you did know about something like that, you would tell people. Because it is weird. It's weird. Yeah, that I not personally. I don't know anyone. Well, Linda was also not in the tub correctly. Her head was by the faucet instead of at the other end of the tub. Yeah, I mean, it is like that. And until to take a bath, you do not lay like that. No. Always have your feet at the faucet. Because it's a, it's on the wall, and if you put your head there and you leaned back, you can get into it in your back. Yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah, so that was off. However, her death was classified as accidental due to intoxication. The toxicologist, Dr. Robert Langville, said that Linda had five times the legal blood alcohol level in her blood. Sounds about right. Which should be enough to kill you alone. He did not have to say you would think you would think that would have killed her because that's insane. Yeah, it's a lot. They probably could have actually had her just drink herself to death. He did not initially test for other substances, but he did keep an extra vial of her blood in a freezer. And on January 24th, 23rd, 2004, he examined Linda's stored blood and urine samples and found overdose levels of codeine from the sixth time. From the previous, yeah. Well, kudos to him for hanging on to that. Yeah. I don't know know why they do that, but he did. Manny Life, Linda's life insurance company, paid out $67,000 to Bobby and $133,674.90 to the girls. It's a very specific amount. Yes, it is. Well, Bobby went to live with his father, and the girls got their wish of living with Aunt Martha. Living it up at Aunt Martha for a while, but then Sandra started to spiral it. She began to drink and use drugs more and more. She would get high and drunk at parties and tell people about what she did. So, like, literally just just let it all out there for everybody to know. Yeah, she told several people. She told her boyfriend, Dottie, but he didn't report it because he was just so in love with her. I can't yeah. imagine being in love with somebody to the point of accepting murder, but okay. okay. <laughs> then about 11 months after the murder, she also eventually told a family friend, David, but he did end up going to the police. And he agreed to wear a wire and talk to both girls. He spoke to Sandra on multiple occasions, and the police even rented a car for him to use and wired it. So he was wired for both audio and video, and he spoke to the girls about the details behind their mother's death for about a month. Just kept meeting up with them, talking, getting it all on video and stuff. 
And after obtaining taped proof of the girls confessing to the murder, the police arrested Sandra and Beth on January 21st, 2004, early in the morning before they were to leave for school. And if I remember correctly from the book, it was like 7.30ish. And Beth was in the process of coloring her hair. And she asked if she he does that right before school. That, yeah, that's in the that's what I was thinking. First of all, who gets up that early to dye their hair before school? It's like something you do on a weekend. Yeah. But she was doing that and she had asked the officers if she could rinse her hair out before they took her. <laughs> and they were like, hell no, you can do that at the police station. And then she was so relaxed that she fell asleep in the squad car on the way there. Oh my gosh. That's even worse. And the morning they were arrested, the girls were wearing their pajamas. And they were offered, like, several chances to change. They were offered to change before they left. I I vaguely remember that from last And they were offered a change of clothes even once they got to the station. And they're like, yeah, they stayed in their pajamas. So they were initially called the pajama girls. And they were originally sent to separate youth correctional centers, but they were later placed on house arrest. Their computer was seized, and their chats with friends containing plans for the murder were used against them. There was a chat between Beth and Justin just six days before the murder, where Justin had offered to buy movie tickets as an alibi and had even offered to help with the murder. He wrote, I have this picture in my head of the three of us sitting huddled on the doorstep. It looks so convincing in my head. You two just sobbing, me trying to act tough, but eyes watering, dot, 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 LOL. What the fuck? Just, I'm sorry, that's kind of disturbing. Yeah, and then he's like, sorry. No, not kind your, of. It is. Yeah, sorry brings out my dramatic side or something like that. Sorry, my dramatic side coming out. Oh, for Pete's sakes. The computer also then searches about the effects of mixing Tylenol 3s with alcohol in a downloaded PDF entitled Inhalation of Water, the Drowning Process. That's pretty serious. Probably should just that's all of that's your evidence out with giant <laughs> red flashing arrows yeah. adding to it. Like, that seals the deal for me. <laughs> the girls were highly intelligent and knew several languages, so they spoke to each other in Dutch when they were able to see each other during interrogations. Because, see, you know, thinking far enough ahead is a problem for them, and they didn't, in this case, either think far enough ahead that they were being reported and somebody could translate, translate. better later on. Yeah. The trial for the girls began in November 2005. They both wrote letters to the judge. Sandra says, I am responsible for the deliberate murder of my mother, Linda Anderson. I am no longer afraid of the truth. Taking my mother's life was the gravest and most defining mistake of my existence. Her death has affected more people than I thought possible. My actions have changed countless lives forever. At the end of the day, I'll never escape the truth. I have taken my mother's life. What am I supposed to do? I do know that I realize that I need help. In the past, I didn't see or feel that I belonged to a community. Years of abuse and neglect left me with a distorted perspective of the world and a strong case of independence. I naively believed that my mother's life was linked with mine in a way that was no one else's concern. Also, I came to believe that my mother wouldn't stop drinking, that she was hopeless. I had no experience with solving life's harsh problems, let alone knowing how to help a very sick person. 
I didn't know how or where to seek the healing that my mother, myself, and my sibling needed. At 16, I was relatively mature for my age, but my judgment was woefully underdeveloped and sometimes delusional. And it goes on for quite a while. And it just kind of ends with, I still have hope that I can lead a normal, successful life and find some peace before I die. I mean, I feel like she genuinely probably does feel bad. Mm-hmm. And I don't think remorse, yeah. But at the same time, it's already, I mean, you did it. So it's like, you can't take it back. Right. But like, I, I do vaguely remember the last time we recorded this, that the mother was where very well liked and had like a lot of friends and yeah. stuff. I remember that yes. from the story. And I don't think that kids think about that or realize that. Do you know what I mean? That people, that your parent has a life outside of. Right. They think they're the center of their parents' world. Yeah. They kind of think that that's like their little, you know. Yeah. The universe. They just don't think past their own nose. Exactly. Well, like you said, you know, no matter how you feel now, you can't go back and change it. And that's basically how Beth starts her. She says, no matter what I do, I can't change the past. The only thing I can do is to get up every morning and try to help as many people as possible, to spread as much love as possible, because in my mind, that's the only true reason for living. I want to be able to help others not make the same mistakes I did. No one should suffer the way my mother, brother, my sister, and I have. The worst part is that children go through so much more pain than I, and they still don't resort to murder. I need help. I'm not the same person that I was three and a half years ago, but I still need help. The person that I am now wouldn't give someone a dirty look, let alone go out of my way to hurt them. And then she kind of goes on trying to say, I'm not a bad person. You know, I'm really remorseful for what I've done. I really regret it. I'm really sorry. And how she's never going to repeat the same mistakes. Goes on for a while. I genuinely don't believe that these girls would go, are the type people that would go and, and hurt someone else or murder someone else this was a specific you know i mean they had their reasons i'm not saying that they should have done what they did i'm not saying that i'm just saying like i don't think there's any um threat threat to the community yeah it's kind of like with gypsy rose blanchard you know she killed her mother but it was crazy circumstances that you don't see every day and there's just nothing in her that would want or have a need to hurt anyone else. Exactly. I feel like in those cases, I feel like it's better for those people to be helped in other ways. Like in right. instead of like locking them up, that's just my opinion. I mean, yeah, I'm sure everyone has their own thoughts. But like, I think in situations like that, like even people who kill, you know, the people that they put in jail who kill like their abuser mm-hmm. or rapist or whatever and then they put them in jail i feel like that's not right i feel it's like not. they need mental health help they yeah those are traumatic events experiences and they yeah. need help mentally they don't need to be locked up in prison they're not a threat to anybody they're not a danger to society they're not going to go out and do it again they did it specifically one time for one very specific reason right so I don't, in that case, I don't think that prison is correct. I think that 
something happened to make them feel like that was their only way out of the situation. And in that case, you should determine if it really was or not. And then get them the appropriate health that they need. Because even if it was justified and even if they get off, that doesn't mean that they're not still traumatized and they shouldn't still get help. Exactly. I agree 100%. I feel like it's important in situations like this for those people to get the correct, you know, mental help and, you know, see a therapist, whatever other help they need. I mean, there's so many things that could, you know, I mean, they may never get their life back together just because of this one single right event. And they could potentially be better but if you don't get them the help that they need that's not gonna happen right you know what i mean and i get that there was money involved that that was a whole another potential you know motive but i think the main thing here is that they were just done after years of you know suffering at the hands of their alcoholic parent right now right which still doesn't excuse it and still doesn't say that he deserved to die. But it just means that we understand the circumstances. That's the way the story went. And now it's like, what are you going to do about it? And and I don't see like putting them in jail is helping anybody. Right. Well, on June 30th, 2006, they were found guilty of first degree murder. And Judge Bruce Duncan sentenced them to 10 years in prison, which is the maximum youth sentence. Wow. The judge went on to say they carried out the plan with chilling detachment. The two set out to commit the perfect crime, but instead they created the perfect prosecution. The case against them is overwhelming. It is probably the strongest case I have ever seen in over 30 years of prosecuting, defending, and judging criminal cases. They were tried as juveniles, so they avoided the life sentence that would have come with being tried as adults. The 10 years were to consist of six years in custody, and five years under community supervision, which equates to 11 years in my mind, but okay. Okay, yeah, help. But both girls were incarcerated in women's prisons, and they were not allowed to communicate with each other, which makes sense, both as a punishment and as a you've got to heal, and you can't do it in your own way. Yeah, it's on your own, yeah. The $48,487.04 that remained of the insurance payout was taken from Sandra and Beth and given to Bobby. Beth's boyfriend, Justin, was convicted for conspiracy to commit murder and helping to cover up the crime. He was sentenced to 18 months in December 2006, but he ended up serving an eight-month sentence in prison, followed by four months under, under supervision. Hmm. Sandra was released to a halfway house in 2009, and Beth was released the following year. And Sandra graduated from college as a scientist and is now a single mother. Beth married, became a mother, and graduated from law school. That sounds uplifting. So, I mean, they were genuinely smart girls. Yes, they may have used that smartness to do something that they shouldn't have, but, you know. Yeah, it doesn't mean they were so smart. I'm glad they turned it around. In 2020, Sandra agreed to an interview. She was 34 at the time. She said her initial plan was to kill her mother, collect the insurance money, and then go to Amsterdam, where she would buy drugs and a gun and kill herself. To 
She has undergone years of therapy and now regrets her actions. She has said she was a beautiful person, very smart and loving. She was seriously traumatized. She was overwhelmed with addiction, with different kinds of abuse. And I didn't recognize that for what that was. The hate did blind me. I regret what happened with every shred of my being, my soul. I've been through so much trauma and what I did is by far the most painful thing I have had to live with ever. I mean, I feel like that's enough torture in itself, you know what I mean? The, the guilt alone, I couldn't even imagine from just living with that, just knowing that I took someone's life and not just anyone, but my family member, my right, brother. your mother, and it wasn't really necessary, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, there were other ways that they could have dealt with that situation. Right. So I, I couldn't even imagine how, how it would feel. I know how bad I feel when on the occasion I need to give Ellie a pat on the butt because she's being, you know, aggressive or whatever. <laughs> and if she's being aggressive, then no, I don't deal with that. But just feeling that amount of shame and kill over tapping my kitten's butt for being right. aggressive and trying to scratch my face. That times a billion for killing her own mother. Yeah, I feel like it's going to be something they're never really going to get over. I mean, good on them for, you know, having their own families and careers and whatever, but I feel like they're still probably going to deal with that for the rest of the RCLSP. Yeah, and so, I mean, if you're uh, thinking about killing anybody, maybe don't. Maybe don't do that. And especially don't do it for the insurance money, thinking that you're going to pull it off. And, and it's going to be, you know, just the answer to all your problems. And it's not, because if it seems too good to be true, it is. And if you would like to find us on social media, we are on Facebook at Too Good To Be True Podcast. We're on Instagram and TikTok at Too Good To Be True Pod. If you'd like to email us, we're at Too Good To Be True Pod at Outlook.com. And on our main page, which you can find in the show notes, you can leave us a voice message or you can monetarily support us if you would like. Next week is our fraud film, isn't it? Do we know what we're doing? I don't think we've decided. What do you like to do? Well, we threw out there, uh, catch me if you can. Do you want to do that? I mean, I don't, I don't know what else. Yeah, we can do that. I'll watch it this weekend. All right, guys. So if you want to follow along with Fraud Film, make sure you've seen Catch Me If You Can because that's what we're going to do next week. Thanks. Bye, guys. Tomorrow's her appointment. I have to take her down by 8 o'clock tomorrow's drop-off time. And I have to pick her up at 4. And I was, like, joking with my co-workers, like, do you think if I slip on 50 bucks, I'll keep her for the night? <laughs> Here. Please, give me a break. Just give me one night of sleep. I haven't had any in, like, three months now. And... And then I reminded my boss, I was like, you know, remember tomorrow's the day I might be a little late because I got to drop off the bitch for her appointment. And she's like, maybe she'll be less of a bitch when she gets back. And I'm like, God, I hope so. I hope this is like a traumatic for her.
I wouldn't want to say that, but at this point, I kind of hope that she's traumatized so that she's like, Mommy, I love you. I've come back to get a little place. And she sounds weird. A sociopath who is going to burn my house down at some point. Yeah. She's, she's making me lift it. I'm losing my mind. I'm seriously losing it. I started having this thing. I looked it up. I was explaining it to Stephanie today because it happened once and I was like, oh, that was weird. But then it happened again. And so I was explaining it to her. I'm like, there's got to be a word for it. And I just don't know what it is. Because it, what are the odds that I'm the only person that has ever experienced this? So what's happening is when I'm like driving, say, to my bake job or I'm driving the giant or whatever, what have you, everything looks wrong. Like, I know where I'm going. I know what road I'm on. I know where I need to turn to get to where I'm going to go. But it's almost like somebody put me in a simulation or they tried to fake my world and they got very, very close but something is still something raw off. Yeah, with it. <laughs> and I noticed it the first time driving the giant on Saturday. I was like, I kept second guessing myself. I was like, Am I going the right direction? Do I know where this turn is? Did I miss my turn? What's going on? Because everything looked so foreign to me. But at the same time, I was like, No, I know where I'm going. Like, I know I have to turn up here at Church Street. This is what the fuck are you, what's your problem? And then I had it again coming home from work the other day. Like coming home. From work, I was on Fowler's bill, and I was just like, why doesn't any of this look right? Why does this all look like I don't know where I am? And apparently, it's this thing called derealization. Okay, well, we're just randomly out of nowhere. Either people or your surroundings will just look fake and wrong to you for no reason. And you're aware of it, and that's why I was aware of it. I was like, this looks wrong, but I know it's not. What the fuck's going on? Apparently, that's a thing that nearly half of the population experiences at some point or another. And then the article said it could tie back to like my PTSD. I was like, what the hell? That's so weird. Cause I was starting to wonder, I was like, am I going crazy? I know there's an actual mental disorder where you think that the people in your life have been taken away and replaced by crimes. Yeah. yeah. And it's like a severe mental illness and like try to kill those people because to, to you, they're aliens or robots or clones or whatever. They're not the real person. And I'm like, am I going to do that? <laughs> am I going to become a girl? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's so weird. I haven't had it in like a couple of days. I'm like, hope that doesn't come back because it's it's very, it's not scary. It's just very off-putting. You're yes, just, probably like really unsettling. Yeah, right? it's almost like an uncanny valley kind of thing. Do you know what that is? It's like when never heard of it. When something looks like a human, but there's just something off with it that you know it's not. Okay, like a like a skinwalker or you know, an alien masquerading as a human, something like right. that. Like, it looks humanoid, but that's why, like, creepy dolls creep people out so much, because they look humanoid, but they're not. Yeah. And it felt like that, except for it was the environment and not people. It was very weird. Very weird.